Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, March 4th, 2022. Uh, Drew, 50 years ago today, the West Coast version of the Country Bear Jamboree opened to the public. Did you ever get to do that version of, of the attraction? No, my first time at Disneyland mm. was, I think, February twen- 2002. Oh. So, go ahead. They closed it on September 9th, 2001. They were so certain that they had a hit that they actually built two identical versions of Grizzly Hall side by side inside of this giant show. But it was was an amazing setup and it never caught on the way the one in Florida did. It limped along for 29 years and they finally shut it down. And then I guess the next time you got to the park, you did get back there to catch the the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, the ride they they stuck in uh, the Country Bear. Yeah, that yeah, that's a terrible ride. But didn't didn't the Disneyland version do like the Christmas version? And wasn't there one a Spring Break version? Yeah, or something? No, they they definitely put those vacation shows in, and they actually got attendance the first year or so they put those in there. But again, it was just they put it so far in the back of the park. It never caught on the way it was supposed to, but... It's a shame. The reason I bring up the story today is that the, the way to illustrate that sometimes the Walt Disney Company, though well-intentioned and seemingly armed with adequate research, doesn't always make the right decision. Case in point, the position that the company just staked out in response to Florida's a don't say gay bill, which just... I think you're actually giving them too much credit in terms of staking out a position, because mm-hmm. it's just mush what they're <laughs> doing oh, but go no, ahead, well Jim. no all right it, drew's not wrong the company released a statement just yesterday in response to this bill that i guess has made it through the florida house of representatives and it said we understand how important this issue is to our lgbtq plus employees and many others we are determined that it remains a place where everyone is treated with respect and dignity and it i guess is the walt disney company um okay a reasonably strong start but then the mouse turns into a weasel rather than facing this issue head on given the rather large percentage of disney employees who identify as lesbian gay bisexual transgender or queer You'd think it would be a bit more righteous, a little more courageous, but they wimp out. They say instead, the biggest impact we can have in creating a more inclusive world is through the inspiring content we produce, the welcoming culture we create here, and the diverse community organizations we support, including those representing the LGBTQ plus community. You talked about the Kim Masters story in The Hollywood Reporter, which pretty much flatly laid out that this is coming from the top, from Bob Chapek himself, right? Yeah, I mean, basically she said, CEO Bob Chapek is less willing than Bob Iger to take public political stands, including LGBTQ issues and voting rights, which, you know, you love to see it, Jim. <laughs> because, you know, for, for all of Iger's kind of shortcomings, mm-hmm. he was very upfront about issues and he you know he contemplated a presidential run on the democratic ticket mm-hmm. um following his retirement mm-hmm. and there are those great stories about him standing up to ike perlmutter in terms of getting black panther and Absolutely. captain marvel done right so i mean oh god 
what I kind of love about Michael Eisner is that when Michael supervised the $19 billion acquisition of Cap City's ABC, ABC already had policies in place to protect its gay employees. And, and Michael looked at that and it was like, up until this point, he had really kind of gone to battle with uh, conservatives. And, yeah. you know, and just the whole notion was I want Disney's stuff to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. But at the same time, I recognize the changes that are happening in society. I want to be supportive. And it's like, oh, hey, we bought ABC Cap City, which has this policy, which we now have to honor. Dang. Sorry. <laughs> we have to do this now. And for Michael, you know, it was just sort of like, I didn't have to do it. ABC Cap City did it. I'm sorry. We bought them. They're the new rules. He abolished the ban on homosexual fast dancing. On, he did. At Disneyland, I, which, you know, you and I have partaken in quite oh, a few times. Oh, yes, yes, so, yes. yes. Yeah. Don't believe me. Drew has hurt himself dipping me. <laughs> But yeah, that was Videopolis, right? The, yeah, yeah, there I yeah. So this story breaks. And what's been especially interesting is the response from animation professionals like Alex Hirsch, you know, the, the gentleman who created the show that Drew and I especially love, Gravity Falls for Disney. And he very quickly began to share behind-the-scenes stories about how Disney talks about gay rights, but on the other hand, when you're doing a show like Gravity Falls and you, you have an LGBTQ character, you know, and you literally get notes from the executives to the effect of, we'd really like this show to play in Russia and China, so can you dial that down? I guess the other reason I bring this up, folks, is Wednesday, March 9th, is when the Walt Disney Company will be holding its annual shareholders meeting. And... Just three years ago, the Walt Disney Company issued a press release that pro to pro proclaim for the 13th year in a row, the Disney Company had gotten a perfect score when it came to the LGBTQ workplace equality, meaning that its corporate policies and practices made the Mouse House a great place for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer folk to work. And now, but you think about it, the company's biggest resort is located in Florida. And we now have the company taking this stance on that state's don't say gay bill. How much money are you willing to lay down here, Drew, as to when they open the shareholders meeting up to questions, you know, the, the question and answer period, how many questions in is he going <laughs> to get asked about this bill and Disney's stance? Yeah. Well, especially because, you know, there was all that talk about how they would they were saving two hundred and eighty million dollars or something by relocating oh, all those jobs to Florida. To Lake Nona, which Lake Nona, yeah, which, yeah, bio reconstruct just posted photos today. He did a couple of flyovers of the site. And boy, I hate to break it to the, the imaginaries who are, are moving to Lake Nona, but they just filled in the lake. <laughs> Move from Glendale to Lake Nona and no lake. And, you know, and a Disney company that won't stand behind its gay employees. It's This is not good. This is not no. good. No. Well, anyway, there's other news that went on this week, folks. So uh, Drew and I will get to that in a moment. But first, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so uh, we were just talking a, f a few minutes ago about the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh attraction at Disneyland. 
Did you see that there was a stage play in New York? I did. I thought those puppets were amazing. And I saw people taking photos with them. And it just looked like the cutest show. It didn't look like it was necessarily supposed to be on Broadway. It's actually down at New York City, or was, excuse me, uh, New York Theater, uh, City's Theater 3 on Theater Row. Okay. Began performances uh, back on October 21st of last year. This stage show, which is it Drew just explained, features performers acting with life-size puppets, who then sing a lot of the songs that the Sherman Brothers wrote for the Pooh featurettes. It officially opened November 4th, 2021, and then temporarily closed on January 30th of this year. And the show then headed up to Chicago, where on March 15th, Winnie the Pooh, the new stage adaptation, begins a 13-week run at the Mercury Theater Chicago. And once performances wrap up there on June 12th, Winnie the Pooh, the new stage adaptation, then packs up and goes right back to the the theater it was previously in, New York City's Theater 3 on Theater Row, where on June 18th, it begins another limited run through July 13th of this year, though the hope is that what with so many of the COVID restrictions lifting, the hope is that the show catches on with tourists and they then extend the run beyond the end of July and hopefully settle into an open-ended run. Though the Chicago production of Winnie the Pooh, the new stage adaptation, begins performances on March 15th. It doesn't officially open until the 22nd. But Jim, I'm going to be there on the 15th. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not going to Chicago. Oh, I like Chicago a lot. I do as yeah. well. I do as well. Yeah. Also, did you see the photos that showed up online just yesterday for the stage version of Spirited Away? Uh, yes, they are amazing. Just attempting recreating a Hayao Miyazaki film on stage and then to decide, yeah, Spirited Away, let's go with that one. But they're all up there. Yeah. Uh, Haku, Yubaba, kind of no face, Kamaji with all of his arms. Yep. They announced it in February of last year in the middle of the pandemic, and they still got a show this good looking up out of the ground. So it's at Tokyo's Imperial Theater. This production is supposed to tour Japan. Once it finishes its run in Tokyo, it then travels to Osaka, Fukuro, and then Hokkaido. There's already some talk about bringing this stage show to the States in 2025, but as I understand it, that largely depends on how well the tickets sell in Japan. What else is there? In it? Oh, oh, Central Park. Yes. With friend of the show, Josh Gad, just came back on uh, Apple TV Plus, right? This is the second half of season two? Yes. Th this couldn't be more confusing as to what, <laughs> what episodes these are. Mm. Especially if you're like me and you have access to Apple Plus screeners. I I spent so long saying, wait, have we seen these already? Has this, has this been on TV? Mm -hmm. But yes, there are three new episodes mm -hmm. tonight. Okay. And yeah, this is the beginning of the second half of season two. And we know that there's season three coming back at some point. Yeah, they, an uh, they announced yeah. last year, in fact, out ahead of the first half of season two, that we were getting a season three. So we've got a Bodiful Mind, B is for Brandon Ham, and a Patriarchy. Anything particularly leaping out from this set? Or 
I have not watched these yet, Jim, which is very sad because I'm sure I have access to, to even more mm-hmm. of these. But mm-hmm. I was watching Josh on his Instagram live yesterday mm-hmm. for a couple of minutes, and he said that actually one of the songs in this new batch of episodes is written by Danny Elfman and performed by Catherine O'Hara, oh. which is their first reunion since Nightmare Before Christmas in 1993. So think about that for a second, Jim. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. By the way, as long as we talk about Danny Elfman and, and Catherine O'Hara, you, you did see the news last week about the Beetlejuice sequel? Yeah, I'll believe that when I'm sitting in the theater, Jim. I've heard, I've heard this song before, and uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't think they should do it if they don't get Burton back. That's my takeaway. Because, uh, you know, that, he... That is the secret sauce, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, so much of the look of that film and the sense of humor of that film is driven by him. Yes. In the announcement, they, they, they talked about Keaton. They talked about... Um, Winona Ryder. There we go. But, oh, they did not mention Burton. I, and no I, mention it, of Alec Baldwin. I wonder why. <laughs> And on that note. <laughs> All right. Well, they didn't bring back Alec Baldwin. But we did get John DiMaggio back, and we will talk more about uh, the Futurama situation on the second half of today's show. Before we get to the, the good news surrounding Futurama, I uh, wanted to something, share something a little concerning about Star Wars The Bad Batch. Now, you watched this when it debuted last year on Disney Plus, right? The uh, yes. Okay, so spinoff of Clone Wars, uh, 16 episodes, big hit for Disney. In fact, they announced, I think, right after it finished its 16-episode run that they were, it had been renewed for a second season. Uh, there are so many episodes mm-hmm. of Bad Batch coming. <laughs> there are, like, dozens of episodes of the show still coming, from what I understand. But go ahead. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the magazine. Star Wars Insider. They keep a running tab on what projects Lucasfilm has coming and when they're going to arrive. So in the past six or so issues of Star Wars Insider, they listed season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch as coming back in the spring of 2022, whereas the the new issue, issue 209, uh, which will hit newsstands on March 15th, Suddenly that get changed from spring of 2022 to coming soon. And mm. as you mentioned, multiple, multiple, multiple issues or, or episodes in production, but they wanted nothing to sort of obscure the spotlight for Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi, which drops on May 25th. Yes. The 40th anniversary of A New Hope. I believe, oh, right? Or 45th or something? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. I yeah. should realize that. Okay. So I guess it's still coming. It's just that a decision was made. It's like, all right, that needs to be front and center. We don't need something else pulling focus. Well, yeah. I mean, if we have Andor coming this year and also more Star Wars Visions, which is really what I'm crossing my fingers for it'll be a very star wars filled year i finally sat down and watched all of those and oh my how good are that's that's crazy stuff i mean all of the different styles and all you know all of the different sorts of storytelling and it's just like i don't think there was really a weak one in the bunch no 
No, they're so good. Can't wait for them to circle back on that idea. And more to the point, you know, I, I really enjoyed Bad Batch as well. So, you know, yeah. when it gets here, it's it's worth checking out. So anyway, we promised to talk about Futurama, which back on February 9th, we learned that there was a reboot, yet another reboot of the show, 20 new episodes being produced for Hulu. At that time, we learned that Billy West and Katie Segal and Tress McNeil, Maurice LaManche, uh, Phil Marr, uh, you know, Lauren Tom were all coming back. The one holdout was John DiMaggio. He's a guy who really takes voice acting seriously. In fact, made that documentary, I, I Know That Voice, which, by the way, that I just learned from friends that there was so much footage they wanted to do, turn it into like a limited series, you know, do kind of what happened with the Imagineering story where Leslie Iwerks had all of that footage and rather than make a two hour long film, let's make a six hour long film. But yeah, I get you it know, between uh, Bender and Jake, the dog, you know, John was just like, look, you know, <laughs> they're doing it again. They're paying us less than we deserve. And he, he held out. And when they, the story broke in the trades, about how Futurama was going to come back. And wasn't it the following Monday they were going to do the first table read? And they mentioned how they were going to do a recast on Bender because John wasn't coming yeah. back. They didn't actually go forward with, with the recast. I guess. As I understand it, one of the producers of the show read Bender's part in the script for that day's table read. But the assumption was, we're going to get John back here. We just, we have to sweeten the deal. And what was challenging about sweetening the deal is evidently Billy West and Katie Segal had a favored nations deal. A favored nations deal basically means that if you're on a show and you have a, a member of a cast and several of the, the folks on the show have a favored nations deal, it means whatever one actor gets, the other actor gets as well. And some of the more historic favored nations deal was that, you know, for example, uh, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, who uh, not only got paid equally on Star Trek Three, but they both also got the opportunity to direct a Star Trek film. But anyway, John DiMaggio, just a day or so ago, announced that they'd come to terms, that Bender Gate is officially over. I'm back, baby. So damn grateful for the love and support of fans and colleagues, and cannot wait to get back to work with my Futurama family. Do you think if push had come to shove and they hadn't come to terms, could they have found a, a new bender or, or, you know, I mean, I didn't think that this would ever get very far, mm -hmm. which it didn't. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Disney just looked under the couch cushions and found <laughs> some extra change to give everybody. Um, but uh, I think that this was pretty much a done deal from the beginning, but I appreciate him kind of sticking sticking it out mm -hmm. and, Getting more money for everybody, they certainly all deserve it. Mm -hmm. So, I'm happy that uh, that Bendergate is is over. Clearly, in the world right now, the thing that we should all be really worried about is whether or not Bender has a authentic yeah, voice. So. I know, I know. I I forget who I was actually talking with about this today. I mean, given obviously what's going on in the Ukraine. I mean, just last night, it's like, you know, right, okay, I'm trying not to pay attention to the fact that they're shelling a nuclear plant. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me continue, you know. La, la, la. You know, <laughs> writing about theme parks and cartoons, you know, that the really important stuff. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's, if you look back on history, 
you know the story about Dumbo, right? How Dumbo was supposed to be the cover of Time magazine the week that Pearl Harbor happened? No, I've never heard that. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, just you know, this whole notion of, hey, the movie that's going to save the studio. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that you create entertainment in the moments not knowing what moment you release it in. I mean, for example, I remember talking with John Musker and Ron Clements about they're working on Aladdin, you know, sorry that's set in Baghdad. And then it's like, what's going on in Baghdad tonight? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it's like, okay, you can't be set in Baghdad anymore. And, and, and you literally <laughs> sat there and played, okay, scrambled Agrabah, good, lovely. Okay, moving on. I just right. you do what you do. And yeah. You know, sometimes you just don't have any control over uh, what happens. Sometimes, for example, you were working on a film and you've done all of this work and then the actor or the actress dies. And uh, sometimes when it's like Chris Farley with Shrek, you know, we got a lot of stuff recorded, but we don't have enough which again led to, to Mike Myers taking over the role. Conversely, you look at something like Hunchback of Notre Dame, where they had done all of that work with Mary Wicks, and then she passes away. And I'm sorry, I apologize. I can't remember the actress's name, but she played Josephine the Plumber in the old comic commercials, yeah. and they, they brought her in to do the, the three and four lines they, they needed, and she was able to do a good enough Mary Wicks impression that they could continue on, but... It's such a weird industry like that. You look at something like when Disney did the Jungle Book 2, and they, they had no choice. Phil Harris had been dead for years at that point. So they reach out and get John Goodman to kind of do John Goodman's version of Phil Harris. And the film is very well animated, but it's still not very good. Correct. <laughs> but on the other hand, you look at you know John Goodman's voice work for the Monsters, Inc. films. And he, he's wonderful as Sully. And in fact, can, can you tell the story? We're far enough out now. Can you tell the story finally about Monsters at Work, about the, the Billy Crystal, uh, John Goodman thing? Well, it's just that, that John Goodman and Billy Crystal's deals for Monsters at Work were cut pretty close, which as you remember, speaking of... Mm -hmm replacements in things yep. that Kelly Marie Tran was originally oh. uh, the co-star of that show. And then she was replaced by Mindy Colling at the last minute. But didn't Kelly then go on to, was that a situation of she got Rhea and the last dragon after that? Right. Or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So she, there was the, you know, everybody, everybody made out, but uh, yeah. I'm always fascinated by moments like that. Do you know the movie Dragonheart? CG thing done for Universal. Uh, it's Sir Sean Connery as the voice of Draco the Dragon. Uh, yes. I mean, animation-wise, it was a pretty important movie. It was. It was. But when they were first working on this thing, they were going to go practical. You can find this test online. It's a giant animatronic dragon that's been built by the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Yeah. And it's Sir Patrick Stewart, who at that point is doing the voice of Draco. He, you know, that they they had him cast, they had him do the test, and somewhere along the line, I, this did this happen a lot with Sir Patrick. 
Nightmare Before Christmas, hello. There we go. And, and, and more to the point, he was supposed to be the, the first Mr. Freeze, right? In, in Batman and Robin? Well, I think that there was a lot of talk because he looked so much like mm. the animated version he did. of Mr. He Freeze, did. which is true, which is true, yeah. He did, but but as I understand it, he had signed the contract, and then, oh, wow. and then Schwarzenegger had indicated, well, I, I might be interested in that role, and it's just sort of like, Sir Patrick, enjoy your check, <laughs> you know, and just, you know, and then, yeah, the best money he ever made, because he didn't actually have to go in for the costume fittings, he didn't have to go to the set and be painted silver, that was all. Schwarzenegger. Speaking of Patrick Stewart's voice, have you have you watched him start his Andrew Garfield like publicity tour of I'm not in Doctor Strange uh, <laughs> over the past couple of weeks? Well, I, it's so funny you say that. I, Aaron and I were just talking about this. He started down that road. Finally, he just caved and just basically said, "Look, I get up in the morning and my phone has exploded." And, and it's one of these, you look at the trailer, it's the back of my head and an earlobe. And I listened to the voice. It doesn't even sound like me. I think I had a cold that day, but everybody recognized it. And he said, in a weird sort of way, I was flattered. They, they worked so hard to obscure it, but the fans still realized it was me. Right. But uh, yeah, going to be interesting to watch between now and May 6th, what else gets, you know, who else gets walked out? Because Ryan Reynolds is insisting left, right, upside down, you know, that, nope, not me. I'm not in that movie. Uh, But uh, again, that's, that's largely on that, what, little shard on the poster, right? Yeah, I don't even know what people are talking about with that shard. It's like, you saw what in this? (laughs) You saw, you saw Deadpool in this. Okay, Okay, very much an eye test. Yes, yeah. I'm always fascinated about these animation what-ifs. In fact, the thing for Sir Patrick is he, he does Draco for Dragonheart, in, uh, and that comes out in theaters in 1996. And Musker and Clements had agreed to do Hercules with the understanding that, you know, it's like, okay, we'll give you your sports thing, and then you'll give us... You know, you will allow us to finally make Treasure Planet, which weren't, didn't they want to do that immediately after Mermaid? Yeah. I mean, they, as far as I know, every movie they did since Mermaid was them sort of going like, yeah, okay, well, after this one, you can do the Treasure Planet there you go. thing. So Connery clearly was willing to do animation, at least in the mid 90s. And, and then, you know, I, when they finally made their run at him, I don't know if it was they couldn't get. The financials lined up the way they wanted, which remember, you know, that circling back to Batman, I mean, there's that great, great story about Nicholson actually coming to the Disney lot for the negotiation for Hercules. He loved the idea, and I guess it was Danny DeVito who had actually brokered the deal. You know, hey, let me reach out to Jack and get him to come in. But he wanted Joker money. He wanted... If he was going to play this role, he wanted a deal similar to the one he cut with Warners to appear in the original Batman. And it was like, well, it was also Mars Attacks had just come out and he had cut a similar deal, which did not end up making him much because the movie didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, that deal that he got for Mars Attacks was like insane um yeah but but he was the president of the united states in that did he seriously and and a and a degenerate gambler oh god let's remember that That, too that's right but but i think about it you know he got he anything the joker was on 
for Batman, uh, you know, the Tim Burton movie, he got a cut of. Yeah. I don't think anybody was going to be putting Jack Nicholson as the president of the United States on boxers or T-shirts or. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, by the way, just to sort of bring things full circle here, Sir Patrick Stewart does the test for Draco. They opt to get Sean Connery to actually voice it. But in the universal tradition of the land before time, where you make a billion sequels, did you know there are actually four sequels to Dragonheart director video films? I had a vague understanding. I don't know if I knew that there were that many, but... Yeah, the animation keeps getting worse and worse, I'm sure. Of course. You know, the, the, yeah. <laughs> here's your bright, shiny dime. Go make a CG film. Right. But evidently, for the third film in the series, it was Sir Ben Kingsley who came, who did the voice of the, the dragon. But in the fourth, and I guess final to date, it's called Dragonheart Battle for the, the Fireheart from 2017, Sir Patrick finally actually got to, to voice the dragon character, which I'm assuming he's sleeping much better at night because of that. You know who else voiced the dragon? Who's that? In the, in the second movie mm-hmm. is Robbie Benson. So, are you the voice of the beast himself. Me? Oh my no. God. Wow. Yeah. That's inspired. Holy cow. Yeah. Now I gotta watch this. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you have to watch them, Jim, but right. they're probably all up on Peacock. There's probably a Dragonheart channel on Peacock. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, easily accessible. I'll have to yeah. go check that out. Okay. Well, anyway, folks, that's going to do it for this week for uh, for fine-tuning. But if you're looking for another fine podcast to listen to, Light the Fuse, the show that Drew does with Charles Hood. And you are, are about to start leaning heavily into the world of Top Gun, right? Yeah, we're sort of stalling right now. We're doing a sort of series of uh, interviews with contemporary cinematographers talking about the look of the various Mission Impossible films. Mm-hmm. There are many episodes, but I think they'll they'll give you what you want. And then, um, yeah, we look towards Maverick. Okay. So, yeah. So do you do this chronologically? or It's sort of a free-for-all, but it's a really interesting chat. I mean, it, we talked to two cinematographers one who shot both seasons of pen 15 okay. uh, another cinematographer who worked on the flight attendant mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of things so these are these are very in-demand working cinematographers who are just sort of talking about the look of the movies how they accomplished those looks and um yeah it's great killer okay so again that's light the fuse folks and and by the way if you could do a drew and i a favor if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine tuning, but also light the fuse. That would be. And you've very got helpful. some shows. You got a. You've got a pitch. Yes, that that I do. We just, in fact, we put it up early because it it was supposedly news. Our brand new Disney dish, which follows Len and his sister Chrissy after they were on the first public sailing of uh, the uh, Star Wars, the Galactic Star Cruiser. Now, mind you, Drew beat them on the boat. You got the four-hour preview. In fact, didn't you talk with Len prior to him going on? Um, you know, the, the, the oh, yeah, we were talking that whole <laughs> that whole trip. We were talking. Okay. Yeah, he was just trying to get a feel for some things in the land, so I tried to help him out. But yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I recommend everybody listen to this because it is an emotional roller coaster you go on with Len. That is true. That is true. All right. Beyond that, uh, can you tell folks where to find you on social media? Sure. Uh, Drew Tailored on Twitter and Instagram. If you cool, cool. 
are so inclined. All right. Uh, we're on the other hand, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill media news. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening.